Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Dirty Wars follows the investigative reporter Jeremy Scahill, author of the international bestseller Black Water, into the heart of America's covert wars from Afghanistan to Yemen to Somalia and beyond. With a strong cinematic style, the film unfolds through Scahill's investigation of and personal journey as he chases down the most important human rights story of our time. The documentary also shares testimony from CIA agents, special forces operators, military generals, and warlords backed by the United States. Literally, the world has become America's battlefield. We're joined today by the director of Dirty Wars, Richard Rowley. Richard has uh, also done a number of other documentaries in his career. Uh, he, he's done the Fourth World War, and this is what democracy looks like. Richard, welcome to film school. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much. Um, this is uh, just a, not only is it a, a, a beautiful film to look at, it, and it, it's a very cinematic look for a documentary, but um, a remarkable um, story and one that in which you and Jeremy certainly put yourself in harm's way on a number of occasions, just dealing with the people you were dealing with. It was must have been a pretty frightening prospect, uh, let alone getting yourself in the middle of um, firefights. Tell me a little bit about how you um, came to the decision and or collaboration, if that's part of it, to make this documentary, Dirty Wars. Yeah, well, you know, I've known Jeremy for more than a decade. I mean, I first got to know him when he was uh, a radio reporter working for Amy Goodman at Democracy Now!, uh, but we really became close when we were both covering the Iraq War. Um, I was uh, an unembedded cameraman there uh, for a lot of the war, and then moved over to Afghanistan, and he was covering it as well. And, uh, you know, th- that was a very traumatic kind of experience for most of the journalists I know who went over and covered it. And we really became a tight-knit kind of community that supported each other and sort of helped each other make it through. So I became close to him then. This film kind of was generated out of our experience as war reporters over more than a decade, uh, we were both covering Afghanistan, and you know, I'd been embedded and embedded there, and I was seeing uh, a covert war eclipse the conventional war. So, you know, I'd be running around with Marines in Helmand Province where we'd be going out on these meaningless presence patrols where the only purpose was to try to get shot at so we could return fire somehow. We would be, huh. you know, building schools. People were too afraid to attend. Uh, you know, uh, digging wells for agricultural projects that collapsed. But really, the, the the whole war that we had access to, the conventional war, seemed like almost a sideshow. Uh, and at night, we'd hear press releases about uh, about these daring raids where dozens of Taliban were being killed and captured, but we had no access to it. Uh, all we had were a few lines in a press release. There was no one to interview. There was no unit to embed with to see this. So we knew, and a lot of people could feel, uh, that these covert, the uh, covert war was eclipsing the conventional war, and when we started, Jeremy and I, we thought that was what the film was going to be about—just Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when we set out making it, uh, I thought that it, we'd be in one country. But uh, as we began investigating these night raids, we stumbled upon a raid uh, in Gardez, yeah. um, where uh, where there were a couple of pregnant women killed, uh, and it was a particularly egregious raid, and also a raid where we happened to have a lot of 
of evidence was left there. There were cell phone videos. It was a forensic report that was done by uh, by Afghan police through the UN investigation, and we were able to prove uh, that you know this raid uh, was a mistake. That the U.S. military had gotten it wrong, had killed a bunch of civilians, had there been a cover up, uh, and there was even the allegation that the soldiers had dug the bullets out of the bodies of the of the dead pregnant women uh, in an attempt to particular blame the killings on the Taliban. So. Um, at the end of that investigation, we felt like maybe our film was over, right? We'd mm-hmm. shown, you know, revealed this one crime, uh, exonerated the family, uh, and shown that the U.S. military was, was responsible for it. But there was a photograph uh, that emerged out of this raid. Um, after the U.S. military was forced to apologize for, for the raid, uh, early one morning, a convoy of, of military, of Afghan and U.S. military vehicles pulled up to this house and out stepped a U.S. admiral that, at the time, no one knew anything about. Um, and we had a photograph that we'd taken by this great photographer named Jeremy Kelly there, who'd been covering the war for many years. Uh, and so, you know, he didn't know who the guy was. We saw the, the insignia on his uniform, and he was someone called Admiral McRaven, who, uh, he was not part of NATO Command in Kabul. He wasn't part of, uh, he wasn't really part of the conventional force at, at all. Uh, after a little bit of digging, we discovered that he's actually the head of the Joint Special Operations Command, this elite unit that is operating around the globe and that is not part of the conventional chain of command and is responsible directly to the executive wing. And so we were launched onto this investigation of who these guys were and where they're operating in the world. It turns out they're actually operating in over 76 countries, fighting a shadow war uh, in our name but without our knowledge and without any kind of congressional oversight. Um, and uh, and so we we followed them to Yemen and Somalia and beyond. Amazing, amazing. And just for people who will remember the 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 very famous now famous photo of uh, the day that the raid on Bin Laden's compound and his uh, his uh, killing, um, McRaven was in that. In, he's in that photo, right? He well, actually. So, so yes. Yeah, so McRaven became famous now, and is now famous. He was the man who led the raid that killed Bin Laden. Right. Um, he uh, and then he was promoted, and and the guy in the picture in oh. the, the famous photo of the of the Situation Room in the White in the White House where the raid is being watched. Um, President Obama's off to the side, and there's an Air Force general. That's right. Uh, general Webb, who's at the controls. He's the second in command. He's the assistant to. Uh, Admiral McRaven. Admiral McRaven is actually in Afghanistan leading the raid, and his second-in-command is at the head of the table running the raid, uh, running the operation from inside the White House. But just the sort of the layout of that room, you know, speaks volumes. Yeah. The person, you know, at the controls is the member of this shadowy military group, not the commander-in-chief himself. That's that, and that's the that's the more important point that the JSOC, this joint. Uh, Say say it for me again. Joint special the joint special operations, operations command command has essentially, in some way, seems uh, to have leapfrogged a much of the military establishment in terms of its position and its proximity to power. Would that be a fair statement? Well, yeah. So what happened is, I mean, JSAC is a, a group that was formed in 1980 uh, as this. It was supposed to be this tiny elite force that was. Uh, the president could use for incredibly important covert missions. So hostage rescue missions, if a plane was hijacked, or if a nuclear weapon was stolen from a former Soviet republic, you send these guys in secretly to lock the weapon down. That that was what they were supposed to be used for, and they had never numbered more than, you know, a few thousand people, maybe 
1,600 people or something like that on 9-11. Uh, they're, they're entirely covert, so, you know, the actual number is never known. Um, after 9-11, they bloomed into this massive organization that is, you know, numbers in the tens of thousands. Again, we don't know exactly how many, but they've grown to the point that in Afghanistan, uh, in, you know, 2010, uh, 11, and beyond, uh, this tiny group uh, was killing and capturing more Afghans than the entire 200,000-strong NATO force there. Mm-hmm. So uh, this group that is supposed to be a scalpel, supposed to you know, do uh, tiny missions, was knocking down the doors on farmers uh, who we thought were mid-level Taliban commanders. They were being used for a purpose they'd never been created for, um, and, uh, and they're operating all over the world. So, you know, it's really the Bush and Cheney uh, um, administration saw the possibility to take this tiny unit that was supposed to be used for incredibly specific yeah. missions and turn it into an army that they could operate all over the world with. And, you know, Obama hasn't changed that trajectory. It's incredibly powerful thing for a chief executive and for a president to be able to deploy an army without any congressional oversight that's completely dark and that, you know, in most cases we'll never know about. I mean, that's, a, that's not a tool that a president is likely to give up willingly. And, and it, it is, it's, in a sense, it's the palace guard in, in a way. Right. I mean, it, it's it, it serves at the at the at the behest of the pleasure of the president. It, it carries out direct orders from the president, not necessarily filtered through sort of the joint chiefs and, and such. Is yeah. that is that a fair yeah, way? Exactly. Yeah. So instead of um, so like in Afghanistan, instead of, um, you know, the joint chiefs being, you know, in charge of all of the military and then in Afghanistan, there being a, a commander for the entire ISAF forces there and then regional commanders in charge of conventional forces on the ground there. JSOC is a global command. Right. Uh, it, it, it operates all over the globe, and it doesn't. Uh, it is, in the end, responsible directly to the executive wing, not to everyone else. It's supposed to be secret. It's supposed to be outside of the uh, outside of that loop. And you know, and there are um, there are cases where that connection to the executive wing is incredibly close. Uh, before uh, you know, the um, the film that's out right now about uh, with Tom Hanks about the. Uh, Marisk, Alabama hijacking yeah. uh, by Somali pirates. Uh, it's uh, in that case, President Obama personally was on the phone with uh, a Navy SEAL who was a member of JSOC on the deck of the ship before they deployed. I mean, that is as close as it's possible to get a president of the United States talking to a commander, a unit commander on the ground moments before they, they prosecuted an operation. That's, you know, an amazingly close connection. Um, we're speaking with Richard Rowley. The uh, he is the director of a documentary uh, called "Dirty Wars," based um, on a book by Jeremy Scahill and traveling around with, around the world, Afghanistan uh, to Yemen, Somalia, and other parts of the world. Parts uh, that are basically now America's battleground. Um, and the uh, film "Dirty Wars." His this film comes out on iTunes this Tuesday. That would be October fifteenth. Uh, you can um, you can download it. You can rent it. You can you can buy it. I assume that it'll soon be uh, Barnes and Noble and other platforms available, right, Richard? Yeah, it's uh, it's simultaneously on Netflix, iTunes, and DVD on the fifteenth. Okay, great, fantastic. And there is something particularly well. There's a lot of troubling questions to be asked here, uh, uh, or important questions need to be asked here. One is what is sort of accountability. And um, Jeremy's, uh, I mean, yeah, Jeremy's earlier work on Blackwater. Um, I, I remember the uh, press conference with President uh, President Bush was asked, 
just under whose authority does an organization like Blackwater fall in terms of accountability, responsibility, uh, you know, legal accountability? And I, the president's re- response was, amazingly, I'll look into that. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, it, this this joint op, uh, special operations feels a little bit like that as well, that 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 there is a, there is a certain lack of oversight or accountability on the part of these because first of all we don't know a lot of what they're doing. Am, am I is that is that is, I know it's not Blackwater, but the, it but is this sort of lack of. Uh, uh, knowing what's going on with these forces is that something that appeals to a uh, you know the most powerful people in our planet or or or, or what? Yeah, of course, of course, it's appealing, and that's why uh, that's why the Bush and Cheney administration uh, ramped them up into such a huge organization because uh, they they definitely wanted to be operating without the same kind of congressional oversight they'd have if they uh, if they sent in the Tenth Mountain Division. Uh, so the so the, I mean, the way it works is that you know Congress is is supposed to be briefed, uh, but just the uh, Select Intelligence Committee in the uh, which is just you know a dozen people in the in the House and the Senate, um, and and they only get briefed about things that uh, that JSOC and CIA feel are appropriate for the brief. So you know once a week or once a month, they're brought into a, a SCIF, a secure information facility, where. They're not allowed to bring anything with a battery, no recording devices. They're not allowed to right. bring pencil or pen or take notes. Uh, they sit down and uh, JSOC and say talk them through things that they've already done, uh, and then they're never al- they've taken an oath that never allows them to talk about that again. Uh, so that, that's the that's the extent of the oversight that that they have. I mean, most of what goes on we'll never know about. We'll never hear anything about. I mean, there are you know the, the sort of chilling thing to realize is that. There are now over 70 countries where we're fighting wars uh, that we know nothing about. Wars are being fought in our name that we know nothing about. I mean, you know, it's a decade plus on from 9-11. Fundamental choices have been made about who we are going to be as a country and and what our role in the world is going to be. And those choices have all been made in secret by people who are not really accountable to anyone. I mean, who would have thought that we would arrive at a point where uh, the, the government assumed the right to spy on all of us without probable cause, as we were finding out in these NSA uh, revelations. That the, the executive wing would assume the authority to execute American citizens without trial, or without even any kind of charge in the, ju- in the judicial wing at all. Um, that the, uh, the executive wing would also assume the right to fight wars in dozens of countries without any declaration from Congress or without any oversight. It's really... Um, I think troubling, and it should be troubling to all Americans about how far we've we've allowed ourselves to go in these last in this last decade. But I'm I'm really sort of hopeful about this moment now because it really feels like there's been a kind of a sea change. Yeah. You know, with the NSA revelations, uh, with you know the, our film and with other things, you know, these discussions of this of these secret wars, these dirty wars, are, are working their way into the mainstream. Yeah, I agree, and I do think that. The, that the the bright light of the films like like your yours dirty wars and as you said you know just the revelations coming out of from the regarding the NSA Snowden's re- revelations and such um, yeah absolutely They're, it's not a po- these are not popular things there's, there's a reason why uh, there's a couple, there's many reasons why we don't know much about this but one of them is that the American people would not support it 
And I always say this about these kind of uh, these kind of issues and things is that the people who are being attacked are certainly aware of these operations. The governments in in those countries where it's happening are aware of it. The United States government is the only people that really don't know are the American people, and they're the people who are and at the end of the day responsible for the behavior of their government. And it's always troubling to me that the government wants to know everything about me, but I'm not supposed to know anything about them. And and this seems to be uh, a a trend uh, 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 that is getting worse in our, in our society. And I think without question, it's getting worse. And uh, I, this is just a remarkable film um, on so many levels. You, you mentioned, I just want to get quickly to a couple of these things. Uh, you mentioned in passing, without saying his name, Anwar Alaki and his son, uh, who were killed in a drone strike, American citizens without any legal um, scrutiny. Walk yeah. us through that, that story. I think it's an important one. Needs to be yeah. Told. So you know, I mean, as I say, when we began this film, we thought it was just about Afghanistan, and we yeah. began the film talking to Afghan victims of U.S. night raids, and not imagining that we would end the film by talking to U.S. citizens whose family members were targeted by the same units. So Anwar um, Alaki uh, was a you know a radical cleric who was radicalized over the course of the war on terror. I mean, uh, on September 11th, he was actually seen as a sort of a moderate voice. He appeared on PBS. Um, um, on uh, you know a bunch of different you know TV shows, he was the Washington Post profiled him as uh, you know people who were looking for uh, a moderate Muslim voice in America talking about the Muslim experience of, of September 11th, and he was calling for uh, justice for um, uh, for the victims of the of the attacks. He wanted uh, Bin Laden and Al Qaeda brought to justice anyway. But he was radicalized over the course of of, uh, of the war in terror and became increasingly militant and eventually. Uh, went back to to Yemen, and um, he was born in the U.S. but returned to the land of his fathers in in Yemen, uh, and went into hiding and began to you know and continued to publish these increasingly radical sermons. Um, so uh, it the U.S. Uh, put him on a kill list, um, and we we figured out he was on a kill list because uh, the Yemeni government kept claiming that he was dead. Um, and then finally it was leaked that, in fact, uh, the U.S. was trying to kill him. I mean, there were a series of drone strikes and missile strikes uh, that, uh, that in which they claimed he'd been killed. But this is an American citizen who had not been charged with a crime. Right. Um, you know, uh, there have been no proceedings against him at all. There's no evidence has been, has been presented uh, to suggest that he did anything more than, than post a bunch of really radical sermons. But even if he had, even if, you know, later on, after he was killed posthumously, uh, uh, people claimed, you know, the president and others said he was an operational member of al-Qaeda, he was involved in all these things. Not a single shred of evidence was presented, and even if, even if they had his evidence, um, you know, when, when, if there are criminals who are killing Americans, we, in America we, we have trials, we, right. we bring them to trial, we find them guilty, and then we, we figure out what we're going to do after that, we pass judgment after that. The president and the executive wing skipped over the entire uh, judicial process and went, you know, straight to execution without even bringing charges against them. Um, so that was kind of very troubling for us, and it was a, became sort of a central thread of the film. Yeah. Um, two weeks after he was killed, uh, 600 miles away from where he was killed in the South, his son, a 16-year-old boy born in Colorado, uh, who, you know, had a Facebook page and friends, and, you know, he was a goofy kid with curly hair and, and funny glasses who uh, fancied himself kind of a, a hip-hop kid, and, you know, you see him in poses, throwing up signs and things with yeah. his friends in Sana. 
he was out at night uh, having dinner with a couple of his cousin, young cousins um, at, at a restaurant, and, uh, and they were all destroyed in a drone strike. Uh, they were incinerated. They only knew he was there because they found uh, a bit of his hair left, yeah, a patch right. of his hair. So, uh, and, and this kid was not involved with anything. There's never been any allegation that he was involved with anything at all. Um, and yet, uh, and yet he was he was executed by drone strike without any trial charge, without any trial, without any apology. And, still, um, and so that became kind of the, yeah. uh, an incredibly, you know, I mean, where have we come to? <laughs> yeah. where a 16-year-old American citizen can be executed from the sky without any kind of charge, and there's no explanation. And still no explanation, and that's the important thing. Well, we we just yeah. run out of time, Richard. I, but I, real quick, what camera were you using? <laughs> so uh, this started three years ago, so we weren't using the cameras we'd be using now. There were two. I would shoot on an EX-1 because we needed to have the sound sort of locked down, and then I had a 5D with me, and I would float around and, and work other camera angles with a 5D you know, a, during these interviews. It's a beautiful uh, look to the film, so I just, yeah. You did it. It just looks great. Uh, so yeah, I, and I'm finding more and more are using 5D. That that and yeah. you know that that seems to be kind of the especially documentaries, but even indies. I mean, it, it's a it's apparently a very easy camera to use. Is that is that fair? Well, it is. And and you know, and the primary concern for us was also security. I mean, in lots of places we were, yeah. it was only possible to have a one man crew. Yeah. Like in Afghanistan, it's just. Me and Jeremy and a translator and a driver in a car. You add another person, you add another car, you increase our, our profiles to the point where we were going to be at risk of being right, kidnapped. Right. So, uh, so really, the only way to work was with a low profile. And it also it gives you kind of a, an intimacy with people. I mean, it's not like yeah. rolling in with a boom uh, and uh, in two cameras and a long setup. That right. really, you know, I, I think I think you can feel that in the in the footage too. A kind of. Yeah. Uh, intimacy that Jeremy builds up with people, right? And it looks like a camera, uh, I mean, just a photo camera. So you have that 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 sort of right. I mean, it's it's yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. So exactly. so so you yeah. can kind of it's sort of a sort of stealthy that you're 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 running. Uh, you know, you're you're filming as well. Listen, this is a wonderful film. I, I um and as I said at the, the top of this interview, I'm just thrilled and honored to have you on, uh, to be able to talk about Dirty Wars. Um and, uh. You know, just thank you and and pass my regards on to Jeremy and keep up all the great work that uh, the the two of you together are doing and and independently and all the rest of it. It's just a this is such an important issue. Every American should care about this and 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 be able to weigh in in a in a significant way on this. I, I'm just honored to have you. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been great to be on with you. All right. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.